entire Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter. And here we are about to close out another book. We're looking at the last and final chapter here, chapter 24 of the book of Joshua. And it is uh, it is a very interesting finale here. You've got a lot of things going on. It's this covenant renewal ceremony. It goes back to Moses. It's just as he explained that it should be there between these two mountains there. It's a big speech here, and it's not just a speech that Joshua is giving like last time, like we saw in Joshua 23. Here he says here, thus says the Lord. He's actually just speaking the words of God, speaking from his perspective. Then I took your father Abraham, and I to Isaac gave, and all the rest of it. So uh, he's speaking for God here, and then there's this big, very memorable moment here, right? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And finally, actually, the description of the death and burial of Joshua, as well as um, a couple of other very important figures. So, right, a lot of things going on here as we close out the chapter. It's a great summary of so much in the Old Testament, a lot of good stuff to take a look at today. And joining us, I'm happy to report that we have joining us again. He's the director of Urban Inner City Mission and Church Planting for the LCMS Office of National Mission. We've got uh, the Reverend Dr. Steve Shave today joining us, filling in for our brother, uh, Pastor Ben Maton of Emmanuel in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, wasn't able to make it, feeling under the weather. Certainly, brother, we're praying for you and for your family. But uh, yes, brother, uh, good to have you, Steve, with us today and uh, to have you on for this final chapter of Joshua. Yeah, glad I could uh, help fill in last minute here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so what do you think of this last chapter here? I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. I think that the the summary, you know, there's a couple of these moments that you get in the Bible where they're just going to go and summarize kind of everything that God's done up to this point, kind of. Uh, you know, you think of Stephen, right, when he's about to be stoned there mm-hmm. in um, one of the first chapters of Acts. Uh, you got this moment here, right? These these big sweeping summaries, They're they're fascinating the way that they just put this big picture perspective on what God is up to among his people. Yeah, it really is the epic account of God's promises being fulfilled and the miraculous uh, ways that he does it. And I think, too, it's important for us as Christians to realize this isn't just, hey, this is neat ancient history that tells us about God and his promises. This is actually our story from the moment that Abraham is uh, called to go forth and establishes his altar and calls upon the name of the Lord and his witness and then the miraculous birth of his children and how that grows and how they eventually uh, find themselves in the promised land. And now as uh, Joshua is getting ready to kind of pass on the mantle and end his own Mm -hmm. public ministry, that this is our story. Um, This is us as Christians as well, the account of God's salvation history for us. Amen. Yeah, we, I think we certainly will see ourselves in the story here when we get to the, the middle part of the chapter, um, that part that the ESV has labeled, choose whom you will serve. Hmm. I mean, it's a very it's a very powerful um, exhortation here, right? You know, right. fear the Lord, serve the Lord, choose this day. Um, you know, and I think that, I mean, very, uh, very appropriately, we've, we've kind of gone back to those words ourselves in our own tradition, mm-hmm. um, seeing that, seeing that kind of that moment, right, um, in our own context. And want to talk about what that, what that means and what that doesn't mean when it comes to those <laughs> verbs. Right. Um, but yeah, so a lo- lot of great stuff. Very happy to have you on. Yeah. Brother, would you, because I want to just dive right into this here, would you start us up with our prayer? And uh, again, we're, we're praying for 
Uh, of course, all of our, our listeners who are following along with us today, uh, but also for uh, Pastor Pastor Maiton there in Charlottesville. All right, let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks uh, for this wonderful word that you give to us and your promises and the fulfillment, uh, not only throughout the Old Testament, but most especially how it is fulfilled for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Bless our time together as we gather around your word, as we hear the wonderful message of uh, both your law and your gospel for us. Um, bless all of our hearers today, um, that they too may take heart to these promises fulfilled in your Son. Uh, bless those who can't be with us. Bless those who are suffering, uh, traveling, those who are dealing with illness, especially our brother who is out with the flu today. And just continue uh, to bless us as your people, as you too lead us into the promised land uh, through all of our trials and temptations uh, set before us before we receive the crown of eternal life in the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. And uh, and yeah, certainly I appreciate the, the prayers just for everyone um, to stay healthy out there. <laughs> it's the middle of, it's the middle of February, and man, there's a lot of stuff going on. You got norovirus going around, uh, and and then everyone's worried about coronavirus. But uh, when it comes to the United States, everybody, the thing that's actually killing people is the flu yeah so be be super careful with that i mean um i, I feel like going into my whole soapbox on uh on, on flu vaccinations but i'll just i'll try to resist <laughs> my <laughs> well, we're not going to do that some other time some other time all right when we get to the chapter on vaccines we'll do that right. so um <laughs> yes but uh, let, let's turn to the text we got joshua chapter 23 um if we could let's just read the first two uh, really actually just the first verse um, and I just want to ask you kind of how this situates and follows the, the preceding. Um, there's, there's a couple of interesting questions that just come up with the setting here. So let's just read the first verse here just to get the ball rolling. Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 1 in the English Standard Version. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. All right, so uh, a number of things. The the Hebrew, uh, which it doesn't really get carried into the translation um, in this aspect, says you know, and then Joshua did this. So it it's the it's the next thing he does. So kind of the question is, I mean, like in what kind of timetable is this? Uh, years later, or is this later that day? Is this like maybe a week from then? Um, you know, because that kind of helps us understand. The, the kind of the sense or the logic here it does seem like it had to be maybe not the same day because hey look the location has changed they were at shiloh and there was this big deal about shiloh and the tabernacle at shiloh but now we're in shechem so i mean what, what do you make of the the change of scenery here um and this and this kind of second gathering here uh, described here in 24 after the gathering described in the previous chapter yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that this is kind of the long farewell of Joshua as he's closing out his public ministry. I think, as you said, none of these things are random, whether you're hearing about the 10 days, first month, 12 tribes, uh, locations, right. all of them are important in this history of our salvation. And I think there is a, a reason he goes from Shiloh, which, you, as you pointed out, is kind of that national sanctuary but when you think of Shechem there's so many important things because he just got done talking about commanding them not to worship other gods and right. here here you have where Abraham is getting this 
promise from God. He's building this altar to call upon the name of the Lord. You have where they are burying uh, their false idols under an oak. You know, these these are important salvific moments where they are calling on the name of the Lord and they are burying their false idols, just as they're going to be brought into this specific place now to hear of God's promises being fulfilled, the covenant that is given to them, and then telling them to, again, do not turn to these false idols. He, you know, that is just what any good uh, office of the public ministry man would do. You know, you know right. that when you leave, the wolf will come to try to scatter the flock. Um, so he, he is calling upon them to be faithful to God as God has been faithful to them. Right. Yeah. Faithfulness certainly, I think, is a dominant theme in the chapter, if not the dominant theme. I mean, particularly God's faithfulness, right? Because it is a covenant renewal mm-hmm. that that's going on, right? right? And so the covenant, it starts with, right, God is faithful. He has been faithful the whole time to the covenant, right? That's why, that's why we're doing this. Um, so it starts out with God's being faithful, and that's that's his speech, right, showing right. how God's been faithful. Um, and then the question is, well, but, but will you be faithful? And, and that gets into, as you were pointing out, the idea of, um, you know, burying the idols of, of constructing an altar to serve the Lord. And, and along the idea of faithfulness here, Joshua is being faithful to what was set up by Moses because Moses back in Deuteronomy, we didn't read Deuteronomy, we read, we read numbers, but it's in Deuteronomy that he outlined that, you know, Hey, this is how it's going to go down. You need to go into the promised land, you know, take possession of it. And then you need to go between these two mountains, Ebal and Gerizim, and when you look at the, you know, your Bible map here, what's the city that's kind of approximately between these two mountains? It's Shechem. So, I mean, th- this is the spot here uh, what, that's been described by Moses. And as as we, as we you, if you look back, for instance, like in Deuteronomy chapter 30, there's this idea of being between these two mountains. This is uh, a, kind of a, a location that lends itself to the idea of having God call heaven and earth as witnesses against them. You know, it's the situation kind of between the mountains, these mountains which kind of bridge the gap between, you know, the ground below and the sky above. It's, it's, it's a powerful image and location that shows, hey, look, this is a covenant that we're not just making among 12 tribes. This is a covenant between us and God. Absolutely, and how it speaks to of how they presented themselves before God. So they, are, as you said, are about ready to stand witness before Him. As uh, we hear Joshua uh, kind of expanding those thoughts, how he's recalling all that has gone on with you know not just the nation, but how the nation will be a blessing to all nations, and then also showing all the mercy that God has shown them. And again, going back to all those divine acts. Um, He's calling on them to kind of renounce their idolatry, to purify themselves from their idolatry, and to clearly say you can't serve two gods. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, so it is a change of of setting. And so in order to pull that off and get all these people gathered, you know, elders, heads, judges, officers, right? And uh, and not just them, but, you know, the people, you know, are going to speak out here. So to have all that happen, obviously, that would have taken some time, but the text doesn't give any indication that this would have been a long time later. It seems mm-hmm. like he was preparing them 
for this with his speech, right? Uh, in Numbers 23, it's very interesting to see how these two speeches fit together. And, and we'll have to come back to that idea. But he gets them ready for this in 23. And then a short time later, he gets them all together to actually do this after their time of preparation. So, you know, just yes, historically in the in the, the context of scripture, times of preparation, we're talking about like a week to like 40 days or something like that, you know? So I think, think that that kind of thing probably. Um, but certainly, regardless of speculation, it's, uh, as you were saying, it's before God in accordance with everything that he has said through mm-hmm. Moses. So, uh, so then... Speaking of what God says, right? That's what verse two is. He actually starts speaking for God. So let's read this very interesting speech here. It's not like 23. This is in the voice of God here, first person. So let's read the words of God that he's speaking through Joshua, starting in verse two. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then... I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he blew on the Egyptians and made the sea come up upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Baor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. All right. So, I mean, just, uh, I just, I mean, there's so many things about this, but just this, <laughs> you know, sweeping history. He's like, hey, this goes all the way, you know, let's go all the way back to Abraham. God has been the one making all of this happen up up to the present moment, up to the, you know, like you're you're there snacking on your olives and your your figs right now, right? And your and your raisins, right? You're eating that right now because of all this that God has done. Uh quite quite the setup here. Yeah, absolutely. And again, here it is explaining not only God's covenant to his people, which is his covenant to them. It's not yes. their their contract that, you know, once we do these things, these things, then God will be faithful to his promises. It's showing this miraculous promise that's made in the days of Abraham that, you know, again, he will be a blessing to the nations through his offspring, which even 
recalls back to the seed promised uh, in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's what's important. It's calling Abraham out of this uh, unbelief and false gods and the line to the Messiah then uh, will be God's uh, people that are the people of this covenant and they will be faithful uh, and not turn to, to false gods. And this is leading us to the path. Uh, this is leading us uh, through the the offspring and the family tree of the Messiah, so I think that's kind of important to to recognize that this is this is telling us the the fulfillment of how this salvation history will take place, um, not only for them, but uh, that this is uh, kind of the eternal lineage to to the Christ. Right. It's um. It shows the pattern that goes that has gone up to that point and will continue going on. As you were saying, it's it's covenant in, in this sense, which you know certainly does imply um, two parties, two sides to it, right? But it's a particular kind of covenant, and um, it's one of these things where it it helps that we've done you know some archaeology, we've done some digging, and you know we we think of when we think of you know contracts today, it, it's very much um, you know like hey, well you know I'll. I'll do something and then you'll do something. And then, you know, if, if someone breaks the contract, you know, there's these parameters for mediation, right. Mm-hmm. And all this, right. Like, you know, we think of, uh, you know, I mean, everything that the president like uh, was talking about, I mean, it's hard to remember even a month back. Right. But, uh, if you remember a <laughs> month back, um, about like, you know, renegotiating deals with, you know, the North American trade, free trade agreement, right. And stuff like that. And there's, you know, in those contracts, there, it stipulates, you know, this is what's going to happen if you, if someone, you know, fails to live up to this and this is what's going to happen then. And, you know, so it's, you know, we think of these things in terms of contracts, but, uh, there, there's something similar here, mm-hmm. um, except with these ancient contracts, these ancient treaties here, it's really God saying, Hey, look, I'm going to do this and I am this and I'm your God. Mm-hmm. And this is how you should behave. But the thing is, it's like kind of regardless of how you end up behaving, I'm your God. And this is just the way it is. I mean, so <laughs> it's this kind of unilateral, there's this unilateralness to it, you know, where God's like, this, this is how it is. I'm, I'm doing this for you. I've done this already. Mm-hmm. And that goes all over to Jesus when he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. I, I'm doing this for you. Right. And yeah, it should change the way you live, but what I'm doing isn't contingent on you. Yeah. It's a covenant of grace throughout. I mean, yeah, and it's yeah. grace and forgiveness. So you see them, they do go off into the wilderness for a reason because they have been right. uh, yeah. caught up in their unbelief. And you do see uh, how it is all by God's grace. They did not free themselves from Egypt. They did not conquer these uh, armies that stood in the way of the promised land. And again, that speaks to us and how God's grace works for us as well, that it is only by the grace of God we have been freed from the bondage of our sin. It is only by the grace of God that the enemies that stood in the way of the promised land for us have been defeated on our behalf. And so, yeah, exactly. It's it's not just a covenant. It's a covenant of God's uh, gracious uh, mercy towards us. Right. And, and as you consider just how it's, it's God is the one who has done all this. I mean, that, that seems to be the way in which the story is told, right? It's not just in the form of an itinerary, like, you know, okay, well, you know, first Abraham was over here, right? <laughs> then he went over there and then you went down to Egypt. Like, it's just kind of like travel plans. <laughs> but the description is, is one that highlights the way that God miraculously intervenes, right? Because, I mean, think about this. Um, you know, here's, here's Abraham, right. And, and Nahor and, and they, and they serve, um, or rather, yeah, I mean, yeah, 
uh, Nahor, and they served other gods. But then God just shows them this new land, right? Mm -hmm. He just gets them there. And then even though he's super old, it, what's it say, right? Um, I made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, mm -hmm. right? So there, there's God just intervening. And then in verse five, he plagues Egypt. And you you guys know what I did to Egypt, right? <laughs> and then he and then he goes and he's like, well, just in case you've forgotten. So, you know, the, the Red Sea um, and everything that happened there. Um, and then there's the description. Yeah, there's the description of, you know, fighting with the uh, with the Amorites or, or um, uh, you know, just kind of the battles that took place with Moses on the eastern side of the river. But then there's the description of, you know, the, the stuff with Balaam, right? That prophet we read about in Numbers, like mm -hmm. who tried to curse them, but God wouldn't let him. Right. Forced Balaam, right? The prophet who had been uh, contracted by the enemies, forced him to bless him instead. <laughs> so like, uh, and, and then that goes all the way through to this, this really interesting comment in verse 12 about like the hornet, right? So all of these things, it's like, hey, God has been intervening for us the entire time. You can only attribute this to his gracious and uh, just a amazing, miraculous hand. Right. And I think the book of Hebrews does such a good job of taking all that as well and how it connects to us as the Christian church and the children of Abraham, you know, that we've all been sprinkled, you know, as it describes uh, parting the Red Sea, as we just heard about how uh, passing through the Jordan River and we recognize that Christ was uh, there and he went through the temptations and wilderness that that it's all all connected to this um, salvific work of God and so uh, it is a covenant of grace and it is also again uh, how, how we see throughout the book of Hebrews that this is this is our story uh, of how we've been sprinkled with God's grace how we have been set free from our bondage and and a good gives not just this description of what is happening here uh, through the through the eyes of uh, Joshua, but pointing ahead as well uh, to the fulfillment in Christ and how it's all connected back to to us as well as his people. Right. So, yeah, at the, at the end, as you were saying, the end of the speech here, or at least this first part here, there is this, this pointing forward. We, we kind of move out of the past and into, well, I mean, it looks like the present, right? Which goes, which goes into the future. And it's there in verse 13, right? Yeah. And I gave you a land on which you had not labored cities. You had not built again, just graciousness, right? Like mm -hmm. that's the, that's been the theme, right? Hey, you didn't do it. I did. <laughs> right. You I mean, you didn't, you didn't build these cities even, right? I just gave them to you, you know, here, here they were. Um, and then it says there, um, the next, the next verb there, I think is kind of maybe more along the lines of like you settled in them, right? You just, you basically, you just got to walk in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? It's a very un-American um, idea, actually. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's right. <laughs> you, did, you did not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You are not self-made man. You we, just, you got to just waltz into this place that I prepared for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, I yeah, killed this city. Yeah, oh, goodness. Um, and then, and then, yeah, into the present, like, um, and it's really a very strong present tense. It's you are eating, right? It's yeah. like, the stuff that you you've been eating, like, because remember, this is uh, this is all happening maybe possibly like twenty five years ish, maybe mm -hmm. um, later after the events of like the the preceding chapters. You know, we we had that big jump um, in Joshua chapter twenty three. So you know, like, hey, for the last like twenty five years, right? You guys are just you know you know enjoying the the good life with you know olives and grapes and all the rest um, and all of that. Yeah, everything that you're doing now and everything that you might hope for the for the future, it's all based on what I've been doing. So hmm. it's, yeah, I'd, it's hard to wrap your mind around for us yeah. to, to 
I mean, that kind of unconditional love, that kind of unmerited grace, yeah. uh, it's hard for us not to, you know, our love has strings attached to it, you know, right. um, to think about how God is doing this on our behalf. So, and we also in our old Adam want to have some part in building the city and laboring right. in the land and, and to take like, some credit. Yeah, take some credit or yeah. at least have some control in our destiny uh, yeah, in some yeah. way. That, that is hard for us as sinful human beings to really uh, understand what it is to to receive God's unmerited favor that has nothing to do with our own merit, but that this is all gift. And that's exactly how this yes. is being described. That this promised land that you receive is pure gift. That's right. That's right. And that's a good transition too, because not only is it hard, but um, in the words of Joshua, you won't, we won't be able to do it. Is actually what he's about to say. Yeah. Uh, but we got to hold that thought. We got to take a short break. But everybody, hang on. We're looking at Joshua chapter 24, the last chapter of Joshua here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. You can help us continue to get that message out around the globe while there's still time. One way is to become a church or organization of the week. For a gift of just $595, your church will receive 35 30-second announcements during the week of your choice, identifying your church as well as upcoming events and happenings. And your pastor or a representative from your church, they may record those announcements or we can produce them ourselves either way. In addition, your pastor or representative will have the opportunity to be on one of KFUO's programs. It's a wonderful way to expand your mission outreach and to help KFUO Radio to do the same. For further information, call me, Mark, at 314-996-1520 or mark.hawkinson at kfuo.org. In the Jura Mountains, a boy and his grandfather are trapped in their chalet. A fierce snowstorm has cut off all paths of rescue, and that's just the beginning. Grandfather, move! Get behind me! When doubt, danger, and death surround you, will your faith survive, or will it be buried in the snow? Based on a true story, on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter 24, the last chapter of Joshua here. We're just looking at this speech, and it's it's not just a speech. It's Joshua speaking the words of God. He's speaking on his behalf. He says, you know, thus says the Lord. 
And it's all in the context of this really interesting covenant renewal that Moses told them to do there between these two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim there at Shechem, a, a very significant place for several reasons. We'll be talking about that. And today we are joined by the Reverend Dr. Steve Shave. He's the director of urban and inner city mission and church planting for the LCMS Office of National Mission, our producers. So good to, to have you back. And to, <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about you, you were providing us a nice segue into the next section. But uh, before we pick that up with verse 14, I want to just make sure to invite our live listeners. If you have a question for me or for Pastor Shave, you can give us a call 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And speaking of things you might do on the internet, you could also check out our underwriters website, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They're at LHF Mission, uh, LHF Missions, that's plural, uh, .org. And if you do look at their website, they've actually, there's an update on there. Um, they have a, a match going on. So if you're thinking about, you know, a, a charitable donation, a lot of people are thinking about those kinds of things as we're all gearing, gearing up for tax season, right? Um, but yeah, this is a chance for your dollars to go further. So check that out on their website, lhfmissions.org. So, uh, but yes, turning back to the task at hand here. Well, actually, may, maybe one last detour here. I mean, uh, do you have anything that you're uh, that you're excited about at, at the, uh, I guess, the Department of Urban and Inner City Mission and Church Planning? Uh, <laughs> if, 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 you, if you indeed put all those words into that all, all at the go. same time. But yeah, I mean, what, do you, what are you guys up to right here in like uh, already the second half of February? But of course, there's more. Uh, we're very excited about uh, especially making Disciples for Life. We just recently yep. had our first uh, conference uh, here, and it really was a great time of listening and learning from others, sharing ideas and resources for us to be better equipped to serve the church at large. So really enjoyed uh, the conversations that were had, um, making disciples for life, obviously, uh, as we look at the Great Commission uh, to go out and reach all nations and to reach the lost, uh, certainly plays into church planting. Um, that's kind of the most effective means uh, for us to reach the unchurched in a lot of ways and also mm -hmm. uh, adds to our diversity. About 60% of new, new missions are uh, diverse and cross-cultural. And so I really think it fits well as one of the main components of making disciples. And as we look at the trends in the U.S. where, you know, upwards of 75 to 80% of our population is going to be living in our major cities, they say, uh, especially by the the year 2050, um, we need to look at uh, our urban uh, areas and big metropolitan areas that are densely populated, uh, lots of souls uh, that need to right. hear the good news. So all of it is uh, very encouraging in a, a post-Christian era that seems to be uh, quite a bit of a challenge. It also gives us some amazing opportunities. So that's what we're excited yeah. about. Yeah, well, and certainly I think that the the whole Office of National Mission has been 
uh, having making disciples for life on its collective mind for a little while now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly yeah. at least uh, <laughs> at least the past year, longer than that, right? Yeah. Um, but so say that you're someone listening on the podcast today or on on the live stream here, and you did not get to go to the conference, and you're like, I, "What is this making disciples for life <laughs> thing? What what should you what should you do? Maybe you want to like." Uh, ask your pastor about it or, or like send someone a link. Um, yeah, what yeah. should they be looking at? There, well, there's, there's two main parts of this. One is that we are holding these regional conferences. And again, it's not just some subject matter expert, thought leader, whatever, just pontificating. It's really f- to have an open conversation with us as Synod to come together um, to to identify what are the opportunities and more importantly to talk about how do we how do we implement this how do we how do we make this a reality uh, that we're out making disciples and and this whole concept of discipleship um, and then also uh, from these conversations hearing from people what you know is important so in my inner city work you know if if they have a a large homeless population of people that they want to reach. I mean, you talk about somebody that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, the idea is to also have an internet resource center where you can go and you can say, hey, I've got I've got this kind of outreach that I think would be very helpful in my community and then find uh, lots of links and not only equip you, but examples of how others have been doing this based on our conversations. So we really think it's an opportunity to to have the conversation, to strategize, and then give people the necessary resources that they can do this. You know, there's a lot of obstacles and hurdles. And when you talk about something like church planting, it just seems like, oh, it right. sounds so big. But if right, you really right. break it down, um, you know, not only is it part of who we've always been as synod, but, um, but you can do this. And we will give you the step-by-step beginning to end nuts and bolts how this can be done so we're excited about the conversation we're excited about equipping people to do that very good very good so yeah everybody keep your eyes and ears open for a regional conference coming your way and uh <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll uh we'll make sure that we let everyone know uh, as more sources resources become available over the internet uh but uh appreciate you sharing a little bit about that. Sure. And let's go ahead and get back into the text, though. We were at verse 14. So it is there is a transition point here where he seems to have been speaking like in the voice of God, first person like this. Hey, like this is God speaking. Mm-hmm. This is what I have done for you. Like all the good, you know, uh, you know, raisins and, and olives and, you know, everything else. Right. The last 25 years, it's been because of me. So here <clears throat> in 14, though, Joshua switches to his own voice. And, and this is, this is, uh, things get, start getting interesting, um, for, for what he says next. There's particularly three big verbs here that, that come up that we'll want to spend a little bit of time on. So just, um, the next couple of verses here. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So a very, um, yeah, just a pointed exhortation here 
um, with some real, I mean, just uh, really key words that that jump out at you. Mm-hmm. And uh, just this, it's this moment, right? It's like, hey, <laughs> all right, do you really want to do this covenant, right? It's kind of like speak now or forever hold your peace uh, kind of thing. And of course, that last verse is uh, very, very well known. Lots of people like put it on their their actual house, <laughs> right. like the we, building, literally. We, we've got <laughs> but, one. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Right. Um, but yeah. So what, what is what is going on in this exhortation from Joshua? And I, I do think because you're kind of taking one one text kind of out of the overall context that does perk a lot of Lutheran ears and they uh, oh, synergy. And, you know, you're talking about you choose God kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. we, we can't yeah. miss misinterpret what it's saying, but it's very catechetical. I mean, it really is. It's very catechetical. It's very creedal. Um, when you think about the language, um, when we talk about God's creation and how he He gives us all these things, you know, it's talking about all of our senses and everything we need for life. I mean, just as we're hearing about all these promises, how God has cared for his people, and then same thing on our catechism, how we talk about, well, then it is my duty then uh, to thank and praise and serve and obey God. And it's kind of the same language. Uh, when we look at the first article combined with the first commandment, how we are to have no other gods, when we think about who God is for us and how he has cared for us, no, it's not us choosing God. It is that recognizing that God has done all of this only out of his fatherly, divine goodness, mercy, no merit, no worthiness in me, which we just heard uh, in those previous verses. It is my duty, you know, we say, then we're going to serve and obey God and not worship other gods. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, there 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 is an imperative in the sense that it's um it's not optional, right? Like <laughs> right. it's uh no, like when God, you know, changes our hearts, right? It's not like, well, you know, maybe now that I've given you faith and my grace, maybe you'll, you know, live differently, maybe not. We'll just, you know, we'll <laughs> see what happens. No, no, it's not it's not optional, right? It's right. it's mandatory. It's imperative in the sense that um it, it's going to happen. God's grace is powerful and his Holy Spirit is more, I have to remind people, his spirit is more powerful than our sinful nature, right? Like don't, don't fall into the idolatry of thinking that like, oh, well, but my sinful nature is so powerful. God could never like, you know, like I'm a lost cause, you know, like, well, hang on a second, right? God could never, I mean, he knocked down the walls of Jericho pretty easily, but, but you're, but your sinful nature, right? So don't, don't fall into that. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of sideways, tricky um, trap that seems humble, but really isn't right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, yeah, certainly. And it's also imperative in the sense of, you know, these past few Sundays, we've been tracking through the gospel lessons in Matthew chapter five, right? It's, it's the salt and light that people need. The world needs this. It's imperative for them, Right. So yeah, no, this doesn't this doesn't um, put away uh, anything. It doesn't doesn't change anything. It doesn't contradict anything. You can have the language of fear the Lord and uh, put away the idols and serve Him. Yeah, that that's okay. And I think that maybe the thing, uh, if it'll make anybody feel better, it is important to consider. Okay, look at these three big imperatives here. Well, consider that the first imperative before all these things was back in chapter twenty three where Joshua is giving them that speech, right? And just describing, hey, look, this is what God has done. This is how it's going to be. And what does he say in verse four, actually? It says, behold, in your English translation. But he says, see, he says, see how I've allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, right? He's, He's saying, look, see what God has done. And it's when we see God's goodness, when he puts it in front of us, right? And that mm-hmm. changes our hearts, then 
he goes and he gives them the imperatives. So, I mean, it really it is, as you were saying, it, this, this doesn't contradict anything. It's okay that he can use the word choose, right? It's, <laughs> it's not like a bad word right. or something. I mean, if you put it in the right context, like this really just fits with the whole pattern that goes, um, yeah, it's really been going on through the whole history of God's people. Which is good news because, I mean, we yeah. can get this sideways concept of God's grace that, you know, he started this and now I need to finish it. I need to somehow earn or, or merit in my own worthiness, his love and his mercy and, and recognizing that uh, we don't have to do anything more that Jesus did say that it is finished. And yet, you know, um, as you said, by faith, we can do no other than to thank and praise him for all that he has done for us and given to us. And we can do no other than as his uh, humble servants to serve and obey him. Uh, and, I, and I like the, uh, right, the Luther reference, I can do no other. Like, I think that's exactly the idea. It's when, when God gives us the grace, this is what's gonna happen. <laughs> right. I mean, it was, it was really remarkable in, in chapter 23. Um, and we talked about this a little bit. Uh, you know, Joshua, he has that one imperative, see, right? Just look, look at this, look at what's happened. Look at what's going on, right? But everything else, actually, there, there are no other imperatives when you actually look at the text, which is really remarkable because you look at chapter 23 and you, you, you look at verse 11, be very strong or be very careful, right? Um, those actually aren't imperatives mm -hmm. in the Hebrew. Mm -hmm. uh, in Joshua 23, he's only saying, look, this is how it is. When you do this, this is going to happen. When you do that, that's going to happen. God has done all of this stuff because he promised. And, and so you really see that, that, you know, this is all just based on what God has done and by him graciously revealing himself to us. And then when you come to this chapter where you do have the imperatives, which, you know, we can do no other, as you said, mm -hmm. what's fascinating is when he actually does use the choose word, right? What does he say, actually? Does he say, so choose God, right? Well, actually, look at what he says. And if it is evil in your eyes, we've talked about that idiom. It means like if it, if it doesn't seem good to you, if you, if you don't like the idea mm -hmm. of serving God, mm -hmm. right? That, that, if that's not what you want to do, then choose this day what? Whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, like beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites. Because those are your options, I guess, right? So yeah. if, you, if you don't want God, then you can choose one of them. And, th and this really, I feel like, gets to Luther's insight about the will. That mm -hmm. if you want to talk about free will, free will is um, aborting the plan that God has put into place, right? Is, is walking out of the garden that God has put you in, right? Like the, the good thing is just staying where you're at. I mean, which God is the one who preserves you and keeps you there. If you use the free will option, that's you're, you're getting off the bus and not the part of town you want to be in. Uh, th this, this is the idea of choosing, right? If you right. want to choose and do your own thing, then I guess here's your options. And hey, you know what, guys? Those don't look like very good options. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just funny. Even in the Old Testament, you see just such a good Lutheran understanding of salvation that if if we are saved, it is all God, and if we are not, uh, you know, of the saving faith, it's all you. <laughs> you know, your your choice right. in the matter is that you you turned away from God and His promises, and you chose uh, to serve other false gods. And you know, when it comes to the first commandment, obviously, all of us who have had greed or pride or uh, you know a love of money, uh, you know, those are all all ways in which we do just that. Where and ultimately our our unbelief is our, our downfall because our faith was not in God and you can't serve two gods. 
Yes, exactly. So this this does bring us back to what we're we're anticipating before the break already, right? W- will we be able to actually do this, right? <laughs> so I mean, Joshua, Joshua makes the statement in verse fifteen, right? But you know, as as for me and my my house, right? Which is uh, there is there is this idea that it's the family, right, or the household, right? So. Mm-hmm. Not not literally. I mean, because like because right because literally buildings don't necessarily serve God exactly. Um, yeah. I but mean, we, you but, know, uh, it's a good point. We're grafted <laughs> into the family of Abraham that's by right. faith. That's right. right. It's a good point. Right. Yeah. So he's, he's talking about his family, and he does it is emphatic language too. It's like, but you know, me as for me, right? You actually get that pronoun there. Um, you know, this is what we're going to do. Uh, which which is not to say that you know, but hey, um, Joshua and all of his descendants are all going to get it right. But but that that's what they're resolving to do today, right? I mean, even though there will be failures along the way, as you were mm-hmm. just saying. But okay, so what? How do the people respond though? What do they say to all this? Okay, so here's the <laughs> response. Here's the response. And um, go ahead and read their response, and then I want to get <clears throat> Joshua's kind of rebuttal in there too. Okay, right. so here we go. Back at verse sixteen, then. Then the people answered, "Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it's the Lord our God who brought us." and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who had lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. All right. So there there it is, right? <laughs> so they, 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 they say like, oh, yeah, Joshua, we're totally on the same page. Yep. And they, and they go kind of give a summary of his summary. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We totally we totally agree with you. Yep. God did all that stuff. So how could we we could do no other? Right. Far be it from us. Right. Uh So it seems so, you know, and then they say, so we also like just like your house, our houses. Right. Because it's the father's houses. Right. Like the uh, people who are assembled there. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Our our houses also will do this. Right. Kind of important to see the connection there, like how these family representatives are there. Right. Um, But but Joshua's response. You're not able to do this, <laughs> you, but but you can't. Like you, they gave the right answer, but he's like, uh, no, you, you can't. So okay, what, <laughs> what what's going on there? Why why does he why does he say that? Why does he kind of like throw this back at them after yeah. they I mean, apparently said the right thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just uh, again very Lutheran uh, in terms of <laughs> sinner and saint. I mean, our old Adam wants to say, I can keep this first commandment and all the other nine. And if I have to finagle God's law to prove my point, I will. Um, but yeah. in, in and of myself, I can I can keep the law um, because I, I am worthy. I have you know uh, the ability to be faithful, and that's that's what they're doing. And that's you know obviously a caution for us as well that if we in some way think that in our own self righteousness we can keep God's law perfectly, which is required for our salvation, um, beware. But on the other hand, we understand, but in Christ, as his holy people, we are truly saints. We're set apart um, that, that it's no longer me, but Christ 
in me and the law no longer becomes this burden or something that I'm trying to do in order to earn God's love or earn my salvation, but it becomes for me my joy um, and it is for me uh, who I am in Christ. So it is, It's again, here we have even in the Old Testament some really great Lutheran theology in our understanding of being both simultaneously sinners and saints. Right. Well, and then kind of like the way you were putting it, though, too, right? It's like, uh, like, how do they mean this, right? When they say, oh, yeah, yeah, Joshua, us too, right? We'll also serve the Lord, right? I mean, uh, what, what do they mean by serve the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Do they mean like we're going to, you know, trust in him, right, above all things? Or do they mean, like you were saying, you know, the, the, the temptation of our old nature? Oh, yeah, well, we can do this, right? You know, and, and so th- that seems to be, I, I think, what Joshua is picking up on, that and this is just you know I mean we can't we can't tell like the tone or like what the expression on their faces or yeah, whatever it was yeah. I mean honestly just by looking at the words they seem totally pretty reasonable yeah um but but yeah but I mean he goes and he says like you guys are talking like you think you can do this but like he, on your own he's scheme seen or something. it he was there how long did it take Moses to be gone <laughs> you know? yeah right here he yeah. got the actual commandments how long yeah. did it, he saw it with his own eyes how long did it take Moses right. to be away for them to be fashioning their own uh you know golden calf to worship to well we didn't think you were coming back so you know we decided to you know and then and then you got like oh i accidentally threw this gold in the flames and out came this you know calf yeah, just and, there there, there yeah, i so don't know joshua right? no dummy he's he's already seen how this goes with these pe- stiff-necked people so um he has all the right in the world to uh, you know call him on it i think right right <laughs> well yeah i know no that's right he he's seen it he knows what's going on right he's i mean he's 110 and he's seen it all right? <laughs> um i mean no one no one's no one's like pulling a fast one on him at this point and um and yeah just what he says just in verse 20 it's it's just very like you know yeah because you know if, if this is what you're gonna do then i mean this this is what's gonna happen guys like and you you guys are just you're speaking like this is such a light thing do, mm-hmm. do you realize right like right. what you what you're saying you think you're capable of right um it's it's not about that all right. Well, let's let's turn and get the rest of the chapter here. Um, we don't really have that much time, so I'm going to go ahead and read to the end of the chapter here, and then just maybe a couple more highlights. I mean, I think we've kind of gotten maybe the, the key idea, just about like uh, this idea of grace and faithfulness, especially God being the one who's faithful regardless. Um, but but then there's also the stuff at the end though about Joshua mm-hmm. actually finally dying here. Mm-hmm. Right? He is 110. Right. So <clears throat> let's let's pick it up. We were just we had just read. Uh, through Joshua's kind of rebuttal there. And then the people um, do the the counter rebuttal in verse 21, having heard Joshua's words. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, your witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. 
for it is heard all the words the Lord that he has spoken to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel had brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. All right. So, I mean, just, I mean, there it is. It's all I mean, <laughs> wrapped up here. I mean, just kind of a big summary form there. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things going on in the way that they, they do this uh, putting away of the foreign gods and, and Joshua, you know, putting this testimony there. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, you, you kind of smile when you hear the, the these kind of very, uh, interesting metaphors like hey the rock has heard this right you know it's like <laughs> kind of like oh it's an interesting way of putting it right but yep. yeah you know it's th- we've seen this throughout joshua the setting up of, of the memorials right so that your children will be able to see this but when we go back to to the end of it though it's interesting because it's not about necessarily what the the things that are there that people are going to point at right. but it's kind of like the living knowledge of this the people who have known the work that the lord has done right it says right. which is kind of ominous <laughs> when it says mm-hmm. that israel so israel goes on to you know yeah so they, they served the lord all the days of joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived joshua but after that i mean <laughs> so, I mean, kind of an ominous note at the end right. um and, and showing though right that if we do anything right it's only because god by his grace reveals this to us. It's only by God, you know, putting his grace before us that we're able to do anything. So just a minute left here, but yeah, closing yeah. thoughts here. Well, I mean, generation to generation, my final thought on this is remembering that it ends with these deaths. It's not that yeah. the final fulfillment of the promised land is, hey, this best life now and this amazing sounding place and how wonderful it was all culminating into a blessed death being laid to rest until the day of the resurrection. I think you could easily have got caught up in this, oh, wow, they finally got into this amazing promised land, but it ultimately culminates in this blessed death where they are laid to rest until Christ's return and we will be in the full presence of God again. That's that's well said. And, you know, and just like last Hebrew thought on that, when you look at this section, the last thing that seems to actually happen is Joshua dies. Mm. Because when he goes and talks about, um, you know, Joseph and Eliezer, that seems to be like in the perfect where it's kind of taking a step back and saying, oh, yeah, by the way, like this had happened with Joseph and this, you know, way back when it happened with Eliezer. We saw Phineas in the last chapter. So Joshua dying last, that points ahead to the new Joshua, doesn't it? Amen. Yeah. Very good point. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you coming at the last second again. Thanks for having me. Um, Yep, looking forward to next time. Everybody, that was the Reverend Dr. Steve Shave, Director of Urban and Inner City Mission and Church Planning for the LCMS Office of National Mission. Thank you so much. We're moving on to a new book of the Bible tomorrow. So check it out. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word. Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. 
Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.